Hello, babies. How are you? You know what? I I could be better, honestly. I've got a bit of a low temperature and a scratchy throat. So I'm recording from home today. Um, my home tests for COVID keep coming back negative. So I'm hoping it's just like a summer cold or I, I don't know what's going on. But I'm also a little bit emotionally exhausted. <sighs> the state of the world, or at least America, is really getting to me lately. And I am just... I am plum tuckered out, y'all. The other day I went to have my first ever mammogram. Please get that done if you are of that demographic that needs to get it done at the appropriate time. And I I had already been experiencing a lot of anxiety around the exam, um, which honestly was not as painful as I thought it was going to be. I'd heard all these horror stories. It's definitely uncomfortable. I just want that to be clear. Your boob is smushed thoroughly. Um, so the exam was making me very anxious. And then there is a substantial family history of cancer and all other kinds of health stuff just like popping off in my brain. And I was so nervous. I was so anxious that I would actually chipped off the acrylic overlay of my manicure and I'd started to bite my fingernails, which is a habit that I have not done in years, partly because I go and get my nails done, but it's very rare for me to have anxiety so bad that I start picking at my nails again. So finished the exam. It went well. I'll get results in like two weeks or so. And after I finished at the clinic, I went to get my nails redone. And the shop is in walking distance from my apartment in Flatbush, which is a largely Black Caribbean neighborhood in Brooklyn. The estheticians are all East Asian. The clientele is mostly Black and Afro-Latinx. And I just thought, oh, this would be a great target if somebody really wanted to like come in here and do terrible things. And I really hate living like that. <laughs> I hate living like this. I hate wondering if I'm going to be gunned down in the middle of my errands or, you know, if I go out to do some self-care and some idiot is going to decide that I don't deserve to live anymore. Or, or maybe, you know, I'm going to catch some kind of deadly virus from the people who just want to pretend it's all over with. I am, I am worn to the bone. <laughs> so I turn to my favorite escape, romance novels. You know, sometimes it feels like the world doesn't love me. So I am going to go into a different type of world to find love. If you're here because of my love of romance novels, you know that I have been reading them since I was about seven or eight years old, over 30 years of my life. And for a long time, I did try to hide the fact that I was reading romance novels. I was criticized. Most romance readers are criticized. The genre is criticized. It's not held to the same kind of love and standards as any other literary genre. And it's really uncomfortable. You know, sometimes people would ask, so what's your guilty pleasure? And I would say, eh, romance novels. <laughs> and then I realized I got to a point in my life where I realized how fucked up is it that I have to be ashamed of something that brings me so much joy. I love romance novels. And today's guest knows all about that. Sarah McLean is a New York Times bestselling author, columnist, and podcast host who writes some of the best historical romances I have ever read. No joke. I love her work so much. 
Now, you may have noticed that the title of this episode is a little different, and that is because we're starting a new series here called Blank is Not a Guilty Pleasure. Not monetizing your hobbies is a start, but we also have to unlearn all the ways that we have been told not to enjoy ourselves. And I think Sarah is an incredible place to start. And because we're doing something a little different with this episode, I won't have the usual indulgence recommendation at the end, but please pay special attention to the recommendations that Sarah gives. Enjoy. Hey, listen, I have been going through it a little bit professionally, okay? I had this amazing opportunity, but it did not last as long as I'd hoped it would, and it left me and my colleagues out on a limb. But I am continuing to forge my own path, which includes This Is Good For You. This show is 100% mine. I own the IP, And to support making all of this happen, I would love it if you could join the This Is Good For You's Patreon. This is what makes the show sustainable for us to do. Not only are you supporting me and my independent creative work, but I am also making bonus content for you. That's monthly playlists, custom drabbles where you can hear yourself getting into those really sweet close scenarios with all the celeb hotties of your choice, and sharing your name on the show every single episode in the credits, plus more. Please check out patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. That's patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. And join. Support my work. Keep the show on air. Thank you. I'm Sarah McLean, and I read romance novels, and I write them in that order. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very humble description of yourself, a very humble introduction. Thank you. (laughs) It's the honest truth. If I could get away with only reading them and not writing them, I probably would. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to come back to why you decided to start writing them. But I want to talk about the purpose of this episode because it's a little different. Usually I talk to people about their hobbies or their leisure activities so that we could kind of get to a point where we're just kind of like, you know, everything doesn't have to be monetized. We can do something just because we love it, just for the pleasure of it, et cetera. But this episode is the first in a new series that I'm doing. Blank is not a guilty pleasure. Right. It's a little of both for me because when you asked me to come on, you said, you can talk about whatever your hobby is. And I was like, my hobby is also romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) You did say that and I completely understand it. I do nothing but romance novels for fun too. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. Um, But so I want to talk about the reasons why romance novels and reading romance novels, writing romance novels should not be considered a guilty pleasure. So first I want to ask you, what is your working definition of a guilty pleasure? What do you consider a guilty pleasure? Oh, well, I'm sure like many people who've been on the podcast before, I think we should just banish this 
idea of pleasure being guilty in general. But it does feel like maybe more now, two years into a pandemic than before, that anything that um, makes it feel like we're taking time away from something, quote, productive, like that there is value in productivity only. And if you are doing something that feels unproductive in some way, it's a guilty pleasure. But I guess the question is, how do we define productivity? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it feels like I have spent the last two years and probably longer trying to unlearn this idea that productivity is the most important thing and that it has to either monetize, like you said, or add some sort of puritanical value to my life. <laughs> right. I think this is a real American idea. Yes, I agree. And I want to stick on productivity for a second, because I think what we have been taught is that in order to be productive, you have to be earning a living or educating yourself so that you can earn a living. So it's still just like this. um, I know it's very like chic to blame capitalism, you know, for everything right now, but everything has to come back to what are you doing to improve yourself via earning a living and, and, you know, making money. A thousand percent. And also this concept that stillness can't be a part of that, that quiet or something that is contemplative is somehow counter to this idea of productivity. And this is something that I've really had to unlearn as a writer over the last, I mean, I've been, I've been writing forever and I have been publishing for almost 13 years. And What's fascinating about this to me is that it has taken me, and I don't even know that I can speak in the past tense on this, but I have been really working over the last year or so to rethink this intense expectation that we have as writers that if we are not actively sitting and working and putting words on paper in some way, we are being unproductive. And the truth is that I don't write every day. I don't even write most days. And the idea that what we call filling the well with television shows and books and art and music and socializing with other people and seeing, going places and doing things and taking walks and sitting quietly on your couch, all those things help with creativity. All those things help with productivity in the long run, but we're taught that those things are all running counter to our ability to produce. And it has taken me a long time to learn that I need all of those things in order to eventually produce. Yes, you talked about filling the well. And we need that. Like we have all these different uh, analogies of like having your cup full. You can't just keep pouring out. You have to fill it back up. And I totally agree with that. It took me a long time to understand that this edict of you have to write every day. No, you can't. Some people are are able to, and I, I admire them a whole lot. But I think, again, this is one of those, those things that we struggle with maybe as humans. This is just a, a thing we struggle with. Is it feels like that level of productivity is the goal. And I'm not sure it is. I think it's the goal if that's what you're capable of doing. But I'm not. <laughs> right. And it like, it's only worth it if you have burned yourself out until you have like, you are nothing left but a shell. And that's not true. You can't enjoy it if you physically cannot enjoy it. You know, like if you are 
sick, if you're unwell, or if you're just like, okay, now this is something that I can't even stomach anymore. You know, in the same way that some people, like I know for me, I cannot eat the same thing every day. I'm not really good with leftovers. I could eat leftovers maybe like the next day and that's it, which was something that frustrated my mother, of course, (laughs) when I was little, but I can't do that. And so like the idea of doing the same thing every day, I am not for me, it doesn't work. And I think that we just need to to have more grace and give more room to people who cannot operate in the same way that we do. <laughs> well, I also think for anybody who does work, right, there is a sort of hope that your work, the stuff that you monetize, takes up enough time in your life that there is a hope that you can do it with some semblance of joy. And The way that exhaustion sucks joy out of work and out of productivity and out of creativity, that is no joke. (laughs) And so the hope being that if you find joy in pleasure, if you find pleasure and joy in the things that you do, that will bleed over into whatever the work is that you're doing. And I think all the time about how many of the kind of sparkling moments in my books have come from moments that have not been intentional writing moments. Places around the corner in New York City where, you know, you just find a thing and you see it and it sparks an idea or, you know, a TV show that you watch or a book that you read that suddenly gives you an idea for what you're working on. And those kinds of things, I mean, there's nothing guilty about that kind of pleasure. That That's inspiration, which is magic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay, so... Why do you think that people have been led to believe that reading or writing, enjoying romance novels is such a shameful thing? Why have we been taught to be ashamed of romance? That's a big question with lots of different strands of answers, but it all, for me, comes back to this idea of pleasure being somehow less valuable than pain happiness being less valuable than trauma. And when we talk about pleasure, talking about physical pleasure in a lot of places, obviously there are all sorts of romance novels out there, but the majority of romance novels do focus on physical pleasure, particularly physical pleasure for people who are not allowed in the world to talk about and experience physical pleasure in public and in in through other forms of media. Romance novels are really special in that way. They're private and also safe for those of us who don't always get to see ourselves in happiness, joy, pleasure, parody, all those things. And so I think from the outside world, the view of romance novels is that they're reductive and they lack value in a lot of ways because they're silly, because that these things are perceived as silly, happiness, joy. I mean, you just have to look at what we call literary fiction. Right. And see how the best books of the year, every year, are just built on trauma. And romance, even if you give a character in romance a traumatic experience, it is always about triumph, not trauma. Triumph, not trauma. And there's always some sort of redemption, if not for the main characters, the the two people or more <laughs> who are going to fall in love with each other. There's some sort of, I started out having this thought that was 
painful or harmful to me. And now you have come into my life and showed me something incredible about myself, or I've learned something about myself through loving you. And now life is so much better. Mm-hmm. And I think that that scares a lot of people because that overall, that's the problem when you people think you have too much knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what we're seeing happening now with like banned books, uh, certain uh, histories not being taught or not being allowed to be taught in school. Because if you have too much knowledge and you become aware of the things that you are missing, the things that you have been denied, the things that you didn't even know existed, and you start to want those things, and then people have to give them to you or you have to find them for yourself. And that becomes such a problem for those people in power who only want to eke out a little bit of life and joy to you. So that I think that is all of those things are also a part of why we are told romance is silly. You should not be reading it because, oh my God, what's going to happen if you find out that men should love you, all of you, (laughs) your fullness, your body that maybe is not a size two? What's going to happen if you realize that you should be treated well in a relationship, that you deserve, you know, sweet talk or nice things or, you know, whatever. So I think those things are all a part of this shame engine Oh, a thousand percent. And if you blow it up, the best way to stick it to people who don't like you and don't think that you are worthy is to live in happiness. I mean, happily ever after is a terrifying concept for people who want to hold dominion over you. And the idea that you might be happy without them or that you might be happy in spite of them is really powerful. And subversive in a lot of ways. I mean, I've always talked about, I've I've been reading romance novels since I was 10 years old. I know you have too, since you were really young. (laughs) And I've always, I mean, since I was able to think about subversive text, right? I've always thought about them as a subversive text, like as this concept of um, here are these books that are, even if you just think about the covers, right? The classic clinch cover on a romance novel. So for those of you who don't know, who are listening, who don't know what I'm talking about, think about like, what we call, you know, those Fabio covers, the, you know, half-naked dude and a woman with gravity-defying hair. Yes. You know? (laughs) And the truth is, like, those covers are so clearly representing something to readers who understand the genre and know what they're looking for. And they are so clearly saying, keep out to people who find the genre problematic and want to judge it. And so it's really fascinating because there's so much discussion about covers, but they're really, the covers are the first line of defense for those of us who love these books and want to be, want to honor them and want to be honored for reading them and not judged for reading them. You talked about how the hate against romance novels is reductive. It often gets described as just, you know, porn for women. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, what's wrong with that, first of all? There's nothing wrong with porn for women. But secondly, don't understand how so many, so many of the heroines are actually not only just like falling in love, but they are falling in love with themselves and who they are and the things that they want to do with their lives, either as a career or just as a person living in whatever their time period is and that kind of thing. Tessa Dare, she has a heroine who wants to create board games. And I it was really fascinating. And, it, you know, I'm not a board games person necessarily, but I just really love like seeing this young woman like, 
come into her own and, and get the support she needed from her friends, her family, and eventually the man that she marries. And so there's so much more to romance beyond, oh, they're kissing and now, you know, they're in bed or whatever. And if you don't want books with sex in them. We've got tons of those too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really remarkable how vast the genre is and how devoted its readers are and how happy so many of us who work, live and work and read and write in the genre are to tell these stories that are really about respect. And they give us all, I think, a little bit of sense. I mean, I think a lot about how when I I read them when I was really young, and they gave me a really healthy sense of like what a partnership should be, right? I mean, and across all levels, what it should be to have a partner for your life who supports you and your passions and your, your interests and your work, but also who gives you parity in all the other ways, who makes decisions with you, who stands next to you when you're at your lowest point or your worst, who loves you in spite of all these things or during all these places, and who with whom you have sexual pleasure and parity. And these kinds of things are things that I think are really healthy for all of us. So when we say something is a guilty pleasure, it sort of is coded as unhealthy or problematic or having less value. But There is nothing unhealthy about respect in a relationship. There is nothing that holds more value than having a partner who values you and thinks of you as an equal partner in life. And I think that is the promise of the premise of every romance, that at the end, these people, you know, however many there are, whoever they are, will stand together side by side and be equals in love. And, you know, when we say happily ever after, the story doesn't end at the end of the book, but the goal at the end of the book is for the readers to believe that these two have been through, you know, fire. They've come through fire. And no matter what comes next, they can handle it. And that's a promise that is really powerful, I think. Yes, this couple or threesome or whomever, they have gathered the tools that they need in order to keep working on the relationship, keep going in this love once we have closed the book. It took me a very long time to get to a point where and now I feel like I am a romance advocate or a romance evangelist. <laughs> People call me that because there was a time that I was very, I was ashamed. I was like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm reading this. When I started, you know, having my own apartment and living by myself and I would have my bookshelves, right? And in my living room, I would have all of my like academic texts, all the literary fiction, you know, there was some uh, genre stuff like mysteries. I love a cozy mystery and things like that. But I would keep the romance novels in a bookshelf in my bedroom mm-hmm. because I was like, well, no one's going to go in my bedroom unless I specifically invite you in there. And if you're invited into my bedroom, you're not paying attention to the books on my bookshelves, right? Because I just did not want to have that discussion of why are you reading this? You know, that kind of thing. And when e-readers started to gain popularity, I was so thankful because that meant that I could read in public without anyone harassing me about my book or trying to tease me or trying to assume that, oh, if she's reading this kind of book, that means she wants to be hit on or something like that, which happens a lot. You either get 
insulted for reading it or you get hit on for reading it in public. People tend to really believe that the gloves are off in terms of inappropriate conversation when they discover your relationship to romance novels. It's so odd. It's so wrong. <laughs> I once uh, was at a I was at a funeral for a, one of my parents' friends and it was a you know a funeral. We were walking from the church into the gravesite and this man who has been, you know, friendly with my parents who I've known him since I was, you know, born, he shouted across the cemetery Hey, Sarah, are you still writing those sex books? And I was like, we are at no. a funeral. Which, I mean, it's not appropriate for you to shout anybody to anything at anybody at a funeral. <laughs> right. But this was like a particular moment where he just felt like, you know, this was a way, again, a way that he could sort of get a leg up. You know, like he could stick it to me that I was whatever. Yeah. I think there is some amount of view from the outside world that – because there is sex on page and orgasm on page and pleasure on page in romance novels somewhere, you know, it's, we live in a realm sort of separate, but close to the world of sex work. And so I think a lot about how our work and sex work often intersect and relate in a lot of ways and the perception of our work being similar in a lot of ways. Once I got on Twitter And I started following a lot of romance writers. And I realized how many people were asking these authors, so did you research that scene on page 77? Yeah, I'm married and my husband gets so many weird questions about our sex life. It's it's really odd. It's odd and creepy and rude and disrespectful. And like, Mm -hmm. do you ask a doctor's spouse, hey, does he practice on you? Does she practice on you when you're at home? Like, yeah, no, (laughs) you don't ask these things. Why do you think it's okay? And nobody asks mystery writers if nobody's ever asked Lee Child if he's like practice blowing things up. Right. You know, has Lee Child ever caught a terrorist? (laughs) Like no one's ever asked him that. (laughs) You are absolutely but right. But actually, now I would like you to have him on the show and please ask him if he's ever caught a terrorist. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> yes, it's a whole different world for romance authors, romance writers, and readers. And I don't think people really understand because they're so intent on teasing readers for daring to believe in love, daring to believe in happiness, daring to want to escape uh, the world. Because that's, I mean, I still use romance novels as a way to escape and like cleanse my palate of the other things that I'm reading because there is a lot of harrowing literature out there that I'm just like, wow, that was deep and dark and disturbing. I need something a little brighter now. And I, and I want people to understand when someone says they need something lighter and they turn to romance, they're not saying, I need something that's written on a, you know, second grade level. I, you know, they're not saying anything like that. What they mean is just something bright. Yeah. Oftentimes you're not even talking about something that's like funny. Romance really runs the gamut. You can find every type of story in the romance pool. And I think that's something that often surprises people. When you go to mystery, you find mysteries, right? When you go to sci-fi, you find sci-fi. But when you go to romance, you can find sci-fi and romance together in one, mystery and romance together in one. You know, whatever kind of books you love to read, 
you can find them in the romance pool. It is the genre of character. It's the genre of of feelings. <laughs> and in a lot of other genres, character and feelings don't take a back seat, but they're they're not as held up as they are in romance. Romance really is about us as people being seen and understood, both by ourselves and by our partners, our friends, our family. Romance is about relationships. I think that's what always surprises me when I kind of sit with how people think about romance as a guilty pleasure. I think a lot about how we as a culture could do a lot worse than having everyone think a little more about relationships and what we need to be the best of ourselves, to live our best lives. And, you know, there's this wonderful writer named Jane Ann Krentz, who's, you know, written for years and years. And she talks about how genre, all genre carries the myth of a society um, and how we are all, we are the myth makers of society, those of us who write genre. So not just romance, all the other genre fictions too. But, and she talks a lot about how romance specifically drives us to be our best selves. The main characters, the protagonists in romance are driven to act in their best way and to be their best people, and to love in their most powerful way, and to be loved that way. And there's something really extra <laughs> about that, and something you know that strikes at a real emotional core for so many of us. And maybe that's another reason why it's considered a guilty pleasure, right? Like maybe it's, again, that fear of uh, maybe we, we are afraid of knowing ourselves too well. And romance really mines that in us. Yeah. And there's also this uh, idea that usually that the bad guy, the villain, does get his or her comeuppance, right? Yeah. All of it gets resolved. Yes. Yes. And so I think that's also uncomfortable for some people to understand that, you know, there are consequences for bad actions in romance novels, usually. And sometimes that the villain maybe gets a, a spinoff book and gets redeemed, depending. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know? love a redemption story, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like anything is possible in a world. And one of the things that frustrates me is when someone who has a negative idea about romance novels and they've never read them and then they go out and they just pick one at random and they're like this is terrible I knew that romances were going to be awful that whatever and it's like okay well what do you normally read if you normally read you know high fantasy there are high fantasy romances so instead of picking up this time travel contemporary book then go look for the thing that you are actually interested in and see how it works with you then because there is literally something for everyone in oh, romance. A thousand percent. I mean, I I actually don't believe that there is a person for whom I could not find a romance novel. The pool is so vast. And you might decide that the genre isn't for you. But I certainly think I could find you a book that you would at least have a good time reading. And that's the other thing I just want to say. And I think this is book specific in a lot of ways. There is a real sense, I think, in literature <laughs> that it should be difficult and kind of a slog to read a book. I think 
often when we say, if you sort of listen to the way people talk about reading, and of course, like I'm a writer and a reader, and I think a lot about books, but when people in the world talk about reading, often when they say like, oh, I tore through it, you know, it's sort of this idea that if you read it fast or you were in, really engaged in it, it's somehow less worthy. And... <sighs> Life is too short for boring books. Life is too short for hard books. <laughs> I mean, you know, you should definitely read your great Russian texts if you if that's what you want, if that's what really gives you joy. But there's no reason for you to be ashamed of reading a book that gives you, you know, that makes you have fun. I don't think a lot of people understand that those 18th, 19th, early 20th century books, the writers were paid by the word in a lot of cases. And so they were stretching that stuff out in order to get a bigger check. So those, you know, 600 page books (laughs) that we are forced to read in school, they're not long necessarily because they're good. They're long because people were trying to eat. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> if you've never read genre, if you've, you know, if you've really never come to romance or mysteries or thrillers or sci-fi or fantasy, there's nothing better than like a glass of wine, a summer afternoon, and a book that you can just tear through. I will swear by this until my dying day, but romance thrillers have so much more action in them than action movies that we, you know, are told are filled with testosterone and they're great and everything like that. But they are so much better, I think. Romance thrillers. I love a romance thriller uh, and I love paranormal romance and I love historical and I love contemporary, depending on like the different tropes and stuff like that. No, but you're 100% right. I mean, I love movies where beautiful people blow things up. That's my favorite genre of basically everything. (laughs) (laughs) And the truth is that if you like me, love those, you know, paranormal is perfect for that if you like it with a side of monsters. You know, if you just like beautiful people blowing things up in extremely extra ways, historical is like pure fantasy at this point. And a lot of people don't expect that. I write historical, so obviously I'm, you know, I'm slightly biased, but yes. <laughs> a lot of people don't expect that from historicals. They think it's going to be, you know, very straight-laced, very sort of Austin-y. And the reality is that Historical romances often have these kind of big extra characters. The heroes are always, you know, brooding and, you know, have these miserable pasts that they have to get (laughs) over. You know, heroines are plucky and like off to the races. And they're great. They're really fun to read. They move really fast. They're sexy as hell. And I support them. (laughs) I do too. I do too. So romance does not have to be a guilty pleasure. And on the show, I always say there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure, but romances are something that you can enjoy fully without shame because they are they are usually quite joyful. And there are some dark romances out there. So if you need if you need a little trauma, if you need blood and excitement or some taboo stuff, there are so many things out there. Oh, whatever your kink, you can find it here. It's the other thing. You want a place where you can explore your fantasies, explore your kinks, explore your sexual identities, your sexual experiences without judgment? This is the pool for you. We welcome you. The water (laughs) is fine. (laughs) You do not have to be ashamed of 
the love and joy that are found in romances because it, you know, it's okay to have fun reading. <laughs> I think our education system, again, I can only speak for America. I don't know what people do elsewhere, but I think our education system just makes it so painful to read exciting literature, you know, or they, they tell us that it has to be something really deep and dark uh, for it to be good. And then I think about that puritanical idea that heaven and this, you know, I talked about this with Ashley Ford in a previous episode about watching sad movies, but that this idea that while we exist on earth, we you just have to suffer through it. And our reward is on the other side, whatever you believe in, you know, it's, it's not here. It's when you are no longer conscious of it. And I think that's terrible. I just don't think that we were put here to suffer through life. And so agreed. read a romance and enjoy life. <laughs> enjoy the possibilities <laughs> of what love has in store for us all. If that's your thing. And like, and there are even aromantic romance oh, novels. Absolutely. There are some great ones. So, can I actually plug some recommendation places people who've never read romances can find recommendations? Please do. So I have a list of more than 250 romance novels from all across the pool on my website, which you can maybe put a link to in show notes. Yes. But it's sarahmcclain.net slash recommended. And literally, whatever your pleasure, I think you'll be able to find something there that you can read. I also have a podcast that is specifically about romance novels. It comes out every Wednesday. It's called Faded Mates. And you can go explore the website at fadedmates.net. We do interstitial episodes where we talk about a trope and we deconstruct the trope and we recommend a bunch of books that we think are the best in the genre at that. And that ranges from, you know, road trip romances or books where the characters have to share a bed, which is a big fanfic. People in fanfic love that. <laughs> to uh, romances with vampires, romances with age gaps, if that's your kink. And so you can go explore, find something that you really love there and read what we think, what me and my co-host Jen think are some of the best books of the genre. But every week we just try to topple to be red piles across the world. <laughs> That's our goal. <laughs> There's so many good romances out there. I love it. It's really, it is my favorite genre to read. I think any genre that's just filled with people who want to talk about happiness is, is worth some time. Maybe it's not a full diet, but you could certainly add it to your reading plate. How about that? I love it. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Tell our listeners again where they can find you. Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Nicole. This was awesome. And I'm talking about my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> so I am Sarah McLean. You can find me at sarahmcclain.net. That's my website. That's where you can find all my recommended romances. I hope you'll all go try them. If there's nothing there and you want me to recommend something else to you, find me on Twitter at Sarah McLean or on Instagram at Sarah McLean. Or you can listen to Faded Mates, which is my podcast every Wednesday. And that's at fadedmates.net or on, you know, where, wherever you listen to this podcast, you can find us. And you have a book coming out this summer. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> 
Can you say a little bit about that in yeah. the series? <laughs> I write historical romances. I'm currently writing a series called Hell's Bells, which is a Victorian era girl gang. So think, what if Jane Austen met Peaky Blinders <laughs> and also decided to take down terrible men in the balance? So the first book is out now. It's called Bombshell. And the second book, which is called Heartbreaker, comes out in the summer. And uh, the gang... As of right now, there are four of them, and they are the femme fatale, the thief, the explosives expert, and the one who always has a plan. So <laughs> you'll recognize them from every other gang <laughs> media you've ever read. So this one that's coming out in the fall, the femme fatale is Bombshell, and the thief is Heartbreaker. And uh, the explosives expert will be out next year. Excellent. Thank you so much. I love the Hellspell series so far. It's really good. So Thank I highly you. recommend it. You're actually one of my favorite historical romance writers right now. Thank you, Nicole. I've gushed before to you, but I'm just going to gush to close this out. But like, not only do I learn so much, like factual historical stuff, but the books are very sexy, but sexy and like, this is a real scene. This seems like, oh yeah, I've done that. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there are scenes where I'm just like, yes. Or, you know, it's like, oh my God, this is like number three on my fantasy list. <laughs> and it's in this book, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> nice. I just really love the stuff that I learned from your book. So thank you for writing them. Well, <laughs> thank you for reading them. And thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody for listening. And I hope you'll all try romance if you never have. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, our editor is Misha Stanton, and our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, Elizabeth, and Mira. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?